All right. Good morning, children of God. How is everyone? All right. Great. It's like great with a little bit of anguish, a little bit of long suffering as, uh, you know, we get through the week, entering a new week. That's okay. That's good. That's um, I'm learning that more and more every day that um, I think uh, it's so funny. It's like, how are you doing? It's almost like, is that a pad question? Because the reality is it's a mixed bag. You know, you may be doing good, but there's some areas where you may not be doing so good or you may be challenged. You may be um, struggling in some areas, but that's okay. As we know, that is part of the sanctification process. I think um, it's all in one. We get encouraged by the Lord. We get convicted. Uh, you know, it's a good thing, though, to, to see those things and see those marks in our lives. Uh, as Gene said, this, this morning marks the end of chapter 11 in the book of Acts. And um, I'm super excited as I, uh, you know, was praying about it and, Studying at the studying at the end of last week, I was like, man, Lord, where where do you want to where do you want to go? Uh, where is the break? You know, uh, as you read the Bible, there's obviously natural breaks that you see. And you know, I was wrestling with, man, maybe we should start chapter 12. And you know, I'm loving the whole you know thing that's going on with uh, with Peter and and all that. Um, it's starting to get heavy in the Book of Acts. But uh, the Lord said, no, let's camp out here. In these three verses, there's so much to gain uh, and, and glean from just in these few verses. So um, the Lord's will be done. We'll, we'll go ahead and settle on these uh, few verses for today and, and get a lot out of it. I've entitled this message, The Responsive Church. And I truly believe and sense that this is the Lord's heart for His church. It's not a church that just sucks and sucks and, and takes and takes, but it's a church that is able to respond and, and give out, but it's the giving out of what's already been implanted in individuals' hearts, as we'll see. It's been great seeing how the early church was used to reach out to all that they come across, all they came across, excuse me, up to this point in the book of Acts. They've, uh, the, 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 the Jewish uh, members of society of Jerusalem at that time, they've become, they began to become exposed to the teachings of Christ. And we're seeing uh, many Jewish men and women uh, alike come to be converted to Christianity. And we're, we've also begun to see Gentiles of all different types becoming exposed to the teachings of Christ and also being converted. But we will also begin to see here at the end of chapter 11 and moving forward, there's always a pushback for your obedience to the Lord. Uh, you can't just serve the Lord in obedience and not have anything come across your path that would try to become a stumbling block to you. Uh, that's just the world we live in, in a fallen world, in a, in a, in a godless world. These things happen, and they happen especially for those of us that are of the faith that have given the ability and given the ability to respond in obedience to Jesus Christ. There will come a time where there is a pushback. We will also begin to see that this can actually be a good thing. How many like good things? <laughs> we all do, right? We, we enjoy good things. Everyone in you know, who we are, we want good things. These testings and these trials are actually things that strengthen and test our faith. And we don't like that when we're in it, but we have to understand it's, I liken it to a, a weightlifter or some kind of athlete that is training strenuously, uh, you know, as the, as the saying goes, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, you know, the breaking of themselves in order to become better. As we know, um, the late Kobe Bryant, he was well known for his rigorous training and how he accepted nothing but the best of himself and, and, and through the God-given ability that was 
that was, again, given to him, he was able to achieve a lot in the sports world. And so, but that came with a lot of sacrifice. It came with a lot of pain. That came with a lot of breaking. But if you've ever exercised or weightlifted or trained for any kind of physical sport, you know that the more you push yourself, you break the bounds of what your own expectations are and you become to have, you begin to have more endurance and you begin to be able to do things longer and to, 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 you know, uh, lift more and all those things. In a spiritual sense, this is what happens to us when we are tested, when we go through trials. Our faith grows as it is being tested. And testing isn't a popular thing. Again, I'll bring it back to exercise. How many people want to lose some kind of weight or, or get in better shape? You don't get in better shape just by simply envisioning it in your mind but then your actions, you're not doing anything about it. There's like, you're not walking, you're not drinking more water, you're not cutting down on all these carbs and Twinkies and, you know what I'm saying, uh, pork grinds and all the little things that we like, you know. It's like there there has to be, you know, some form of discipline that goes on and, and you, you have to stop choosing this one way and choose another. And this is what happens, again, like I said, in a spiritual sense, when we become to be submissive and obedient to Jesus Christ, there will there's going to come many times, as the Bible says, we will enter the gates of heaven through much trials and tribulations. I'm paraphrasing. But the point is, Though we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, though the, the, the war has already been won, though we are covered in the blood of Christ, it's not going to be a cakewalk getting to death, you know, unless the Lord chooses to allow you to die real quick in a way that's peaceful and painless. But for many of us, we are going to live X amount of years. And through those years, there are going to be very prosperous times and there's also going to be times where it is extremely difficult and challenging. But it's in those challenging times that your faith is grown and, 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 and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be made manifest in your life through these difficult times. There are several main points I'd like us to address this morning. And the first one is we're going to take a little bit more of an in-depth look at prophecy. We're not going to spend too much time on it, but I, I find it important for us to camp out there for a little bit and, and kind of get a better sense of what is prophecy and what does it mean. That word is thrown around a lot, loosely at times, and I think it's important to, to get a clear biblical definition of what prophecy means and how it is applicable, not only in this text today, but in our lives today. How does this apply to our lives? The second main point I'd like us to focus on is we will see what it truly means to have an active faith. The early church's faith was real and it was displayed through their actions, right? We, we've all heard the phrase, what? Talk is, talk is cheap. Nobody wants to hear all this blah, blah, blase, blase. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I love you so much. I'm down for you, this and that. It's like, and I, I enjoy listening to the old school, you know, uh, preachers of the past, J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorites. He, he has that phrase, where the rubber meets the road. And that's, that, that's, that's the Christian life. Right. That is the Christian life. When what we get in the Bible, the principles of the word of God, when it actually uh, moves from just being in this book to us living out our faith and, and our faith becoming active, a, a verb. It's not just something that's just just stale and, and, and sitting there, but it's actually it has movement. It's organic. It, it becomes a part of our everyday life and our lifestyle. That's where we want to be as Christians. Amen. <laughs> like I didn't hear amen. I heard one amen. Like y'all don't want to have active faith. Come on now. Wake up. The third main point is we will see the importance and the responsibility of church leadership to utilize resources properly and not to abuse them for self gain. This is a big thing, especially in our day and age. It's very easy for those who are placed into positions of steward leadership 
to misabuse and mistreat resources and funds that are made available to the church through their stewardship. And we don't want to be uh, a part of the Lord's body that are like that, that are that are not utilizing the resources that God has given to us at our disposal and just being flippant about it or uh, being selfish or not being led by the Lord at all about how we use our finances and other uh, material things that are given to us. So let's go ahead and unpack these three verses, though they're only three. Uh, There's much to be learned from in these three verses. So let's go ahead and just begin in verse 27. And it says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So uh, you guys remember Antioch was a place where uh, a Gentile Christian church was born recently, as we looked at last week. So now we see that there were prophets that were coming from Jerusalem to Antioch. There was a reason why they were going to this place or to this church. It is obvious that the founding church in Jerusalem viewed the church in Antioch with great respect and value. And I say this only because, first of all, they sent our brother Barnabas to them to minister to them. And then when that happened, Barnabas then enlisted Saul. So we already see two pillars of the early church being sent out to build up and encourage and strengthen the men and women of this church in Antioch. Now we see that the church in Jerusalem is sending prophets to visit them. The Antioch church began to have an impact throughout the known world. They were beginning to reach out and spread the truth of who Jesus Christ was to their neighbors, to the surrounding area, and this was apparent. So now it brings us to this point of prophecy because it said that the church in Jerusalem sent prophets to Antioch. So let's talk about prophecy and let's talk about this general idea of prophecy and what this means. The word prophecy is a very broad term. Uh, It has a wide variety of meanings depending upon the context in the Bible. To begin with, prophecy is usually a message from God to man. God will, uh, you know, however God does, I don't know, I'm not in the mind of God, but he'll deliver a message or a word that he would like to be shared with the people of God. And so God will do this. He'll send a message to uh, some, uh, a believer in Christ. Some prophecies tell of Severe warnings to the people of God. You can look all throughout the Old Testament and see uh, examples of this, of of, of God speaking to the prophets and, and God is warning the people of Israel, unless you turn away from your sinful ways and return to your first love, this judgment is going to fall upon you. Other prophecies are predictions of things to come. Many are words of edification, which we learned about last week, exhortation, which we learned about, and consolation. Another function of prophecy is to actually offer praise to God. So what we were just doing a few moments ago, you could say in some ways is uh, prophetic in the sense of we are offering praises to God. Many times people are inspired of the Holy Spirit in their praise to the Lord. And I hope that is us, right? As is, uh, I mean, I was moved and I don't believe it was an emotional movement, but there was something, shall I say, a little bit different about the worship this morning. I, I sensed it. It was very powerful. It was very in one accord. It was very strong. I know it was beyond the scope of Michelle, Isaiah, and, and, and Nisa just singing and playing instruments. It was a move of the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you are submissive and in tune to the Holy Spirit, you're going to sense that. And, and again, I don't want to mix it up because I don't believe it was an emotional thing. You, though you may express emotionally, you know, some people cry when they, they're, they're praising God, and that's okay. But again, I don't believe it's, it's solely an emotional thing. I think it's a move of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and this is a way God gave us these emotions. It's a way that we express ourselves. This whole worshiping the Lord through song and praise, this too is prophetic speech. But the main point about prophecy, this is what I want to, this is what I want us to rest upon because it's easy to get caught up in all the little the intricacies and all that but the main point about prophecy is that the holy spirit inspires what the instrument or what the prophet says see that's the main point it's the holy spirit that's inspiring this person to share what they're sharing it's not this person in their own strength in their own wisdom in their own intellect but it is the Holy Spirit living within them, giving them the inspiration and the ability to share whatever they're sharing or to play however they're play, uh, playing or to pray however they're led to pray for an individual or for a group of people. I'll put out a quick disclaimer, but it's not something I want to rest on, but it is worthwhile to speak on it. The disclaimer is this. Some people today will argue that they are prophets of God and carry specific messages to the world. This is highly debatable. And excuse me, as is the idea that some even call themselves apostles of God today. Either way, the Bible is crystal clear on this subject. And what I'll read to you right now is the criteria to be considered a prophet of any kind. So I, I don't want us to get bogged down by the I'm sure many of us have came across or uh, experienced people that say oh yes I am a prophet or a prophetess or I am an apostle of Jesus Christ let's just look at Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20 this this settles that whole matter again you know I don't like to get caught up in in all the little nuances of things that can pull you away from the main point the main point is Jesus Christ but again I I <laughs> felt led by the Holy Spirit to share this because I think it's crystal clear what the Bible says about any individual being used to, to prophesy about anything. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20 says this clearly, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. That is, that's it. <laughs> that is it. You will recognize them by their fruits. Fruits, excuse me. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that dot does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, and again, the main point of this passage, this you will recognize them by their fruits. What is the application? What is the application for us today in this whole idea, this whole broad scope of prophecy? We as believers must use the discernment given to us by the Holy Spirit, and we will be able to determine what is truly prophetic from Jesus Christ and what is not. You will know them by their fruits. And it's as simple as that. It doesn't, it's not about titles. It's not about the stuff that we can see. Remember, we, we're not to be led by what we see. We're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, to me, what the Lord has shown me is that that settles it once and for all. Use your discernment led by the Holy Spirit and you will gauge what are the fruits of what this person is doing? Are they, are, are they fruits of the Holy Spirit or are they fruits of the flesh? And you'll clearly be able to determine the two. Obviously, this individual here, which was led from Jerusalem to Antioch, this truly was a prophet because of the nature of what was shared. And then we see the result of what was done within the church. We see the fruit of the Spirit and how the church shared. We'll get into that in a minute. Let's go ahead and move to verse 28. <clears throat> and it says, And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. One of these prophets that came from Jerusalem to Antioch was Agabus. It says, at Antioch, he stood up 
and began to share by the leading of the Holy Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over the whole world. Again, the important point is that Agabus was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he spoke and conveyed this message to the church in Antioch. This prophecy is a graphic example of the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit at the church of Antioch. What is the application for us in this? What does this, what does this mean? So this man comes from Jerusalem. He goes to this church in Antioch and he says, look, check it out. There's going to be a super big famine. The whole world is going to be affected. That sounds like doom and gloom and like, well, what are you telling me? I, this is not what I want to hear. This is not going to brighten my day. I don't understand what the purpose of you coming here telling me this is. Again, the application is for us to, we want to be under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when we share whatever we share and we do whatever we do. We don't want to just... So you know how sometimes we want to lighten the blow? Like there's a super heavy, you know, burden on our heart for someone or something. And, and there's a message that the Lord has given us to share with someone. And it's like, man, Lord, how do I, how do I share this? You know, many times we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. And so we'll, we'll, we'll lighten the blow. We'll find a way to candy coat it and try to make it seem as if, oh, it's not that bad. It's kind of like, you know, the 49ers in the Super Bowl this past year, a lot of Niner fans were saying, oh, man, we got robbed. We just, you know, this and that. We should have won the Super Bowl. It's like the reality is the 49ers gave that game away. They did not play good. The coach, as much as I enjoy and like the coach, I don't believe he coached well enough. They, The better team won. Don't candy coat it. You just did not play good enough to win the game. But many 49er fans will lament and try to lighten the blow and, oh, well, at least we got to the Super Bowl. You know, we were like three and something the last year. So, I mean, we're so good. We're going we're gonna to win it next year. And so you guys may not even retain all the same players. I don't know what you're talking about, but... You know, but that's the reality. You know, you lighten the blow or, or, you know, you have a situation where you have a boyfriend and girlfriend and somebody's outgrown somebody else and they feel led to move on. And it's like, but they don't have the heart to just tell them straight up and they just try to lighten the blow and soften the soften it and make it. So, you know, it's like, what are you beating around the bush about? Quit trying to be all nice and this and that. And just tell me like it is. Tell me straight up what is going on. And if you're going to break up with me, break up with me and let's be done with it. I'll have my little time of grieving and we'll move on. This is the same idea, though, here with Agabus. I mean, could you imagine the, the, the weight upon this man's heart and in his mind, the things he might have been wrestling with? Or I don't know if maybe he just had that clear 5G, you know, uh, connection with the Lord. And it was like he wasn't even tripping. He's like, this is the message I got from the Lord. There's a widespread famine. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to die. A lot of people that are going to be without food. It might be like Water World or, you know, well, it wouldn't be. That was like in Noah's age when there was no more land, water. But still, I mean, this is a heavy message to bring to a church to tell that that's like that's like somebody coming in. That's like me coming in today saying there's going to be a widespread famine. Milpitas is going to be gone. All you're going to have is just the nasty junk in the diaper of the landfill to go forage from. And that's going to be it. That's crazy. But it's like, you know, again, being led by the Holy Spirit, allowing the Lord to speak through you and to not lighten. And obviously it's in love, but the Lord will give you the way of how to, you know, uh, share what needs to be shared. But to not lighten the low, the blow because of the truth of what's been put upon your heart to share. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 I love this verse, and it tells us clearly, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I, I truly believe this man was filled with the Spirit. He was intoxicated to be moved, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. And that's that's what we want in our own lives, to be, you know, as a drunken person is influenced by the intoxication of strong drink, and, you know, they stagger to and fro and do crazy things and are loosey-goosey about how they act because they are influenced by this, uh, you know, this, this, this thing of alcohol. We want to be that same way, but with the Holy Spirit. And this is all going to tie in. And this is, this is kind of, this is exactly why the church responded in the way they did and what they did, their actions, because they were influenced heavily by the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we'll learn about that in a, in, in a short minute. 
It's just a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see in your life. And it is so liberating and freeing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be poured out as an offering to others. Next, we see that the prophecy of Agabus, again, he did not share good news. Many prophets of old shared the similar kinds of hard news to hear. I won't go and read it, but examples are Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Amos chapter 5, or Amos, however you want to pronounce it, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. These are all examples uh, of prophets of old that were used to carry out and express God's divine wrath on those who opposed him. These, these, these men that were used to, to share prophecy, this wasn't just some lighthearted, you know, warm, fuzzy thing that they were delivering. This was, again, doom and destruction, talking about, you know, what the judgment that is going to come upon a people for disobeying God. It was a heavy message. It was not something for the lighthearted to be able to share. And maybe that's why the Lord has handpicked certain individuals to carry out certain messages, because he knows some people just don't have the heart to be able to share. And I'm not saying be broad and rude about it, but in a way to not candy coat it. You know, what is truth if it's candy coated? It's not truth at all. It's 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 a fabrication sprinkled with a bunch of little toppings to make it palatable for somebody to digest. And then they don't even get the message that they need to you know, turn back from their wicked ways to repent, right? That's the thing. If we lighten the blow, many times we're enabling people to continue on in sin. See, that's again, another word that for some reason, I don't know why some churches don't want to talk about as if sin doesn't exist, as it's the elephant in the room. If I don't, if I don't talk about it, it's just not going to be there. No, it's so there. It's deceitfully wicked in my heart. Like every day I got to wake up and be like, dude, man, I'm fighting with sin again. Yes, because that is the life that we live. Though we are saved, <laughs> we still battle with this urge to go and do the other thing all the time. It's like that constant tug of war within your heart and my heart. On the contrary... Our hearts yearn for good news. We want to hear about how God is going to bless us and use us in mighty ways. We are not so eager to hear about some coming disaster or hard times. However, Agabus was not in any way deterred from telling tr the truth of what the Spirit had inspired him to say. Again, he prophesied that there would be a worldwide famine. An application for us, as I mentioned earlier, I'll say it again because it is that important. As servants of the Lord, we must be equally faithful to present the truth that God has given us. Again, that's like a, a servant of God talking about the love of God without mentioning we need we need to be cleansed from our sin and be forgiven. There's no way. You cannot talk about the love of God without mentioning what we need to be saved from first. Because that is love. The love is God showing us the error in our own ways and what we need to be saved from. And Jesus going to the cross, dying a excruciating death in order to cleanse us from our unrighteousness to be made right with God the Father. But in that, there's there's a there's a grimy part. There's a grimy aspect, and you can't get away from that. That's just life. You look at everything you're going through right now. There may be beautiful parts. There may be aspects of the season that you're in that are just joyous and great and beautiful and fulfilling, but I'm sure there's somewhere in there where it's also very difficult too, and it's very grimy and very gruesome and very ugly, and that's kind of that's life. That's the sanctification process. Nobody's walk is looking pretty all the time. If we keep it real, <laughs> if we want to be fake about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just a good Christian. And, you know, I go to church and I memorize Bible verses and yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I give my my offering or my tithe or whatever you want to call it. And, and I do good. 
<laughs> and I've earned my wings. You're not even going to have wings. We're not angels. We're created humans a little bit above. But you, you know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? Because people go to these weird places and, and we're like, it's all good. Yeah, it is all good. But, dude, I'm a wretch, man. Keep it real. I, I mean, I'm, it's not doom and gloom. It just is what it is. It's reality. It's the Christianity on a reality base, not not this whimsical idea that you, you come to Christ and just every all the bad stuff falls off and falls away. It will in the process in time, but this is sanctification. <laughs> this famine would occur during the reign of Claudius Caesar. The interesting thing about this specific emperor of Rome was this was actually a trend of his leadership in the Roman Empire at this time, because he had a succession of bad harvests that serious, uh, excuse me, and serious famines were widespread throughout the empire during his reign, throughout the known world. So it wasn't the first time or it wasn't going to be the last time that this specific emperor of Rome was going to encounter or face this situation with a famine affecting the known world. This famine was recognized as an act of God. The passage here isn't specific about the cause of this famine, though one could conclude it was a judgment for this emperor's sinful disobedience. And, and I simply say that because, again, the harvest was never good under his reign. There was always some kind of issue with people being able to be fed, with there being plenty or enough to go around. This, For whatever reason, this, this leader in Rome uh, had this issue. It reminds me of what happened in the land of Egypt. Remember Pharaoh's unwillingness to let the Israelites go free and so many plagues and different things that happened to that land and those people because of his disobedience, because of his willful rebellion against the true and living God. All these unnecessary things happened to those people and to that people group. And here we see the same thing happening in Rome. In any event, the Lord was going to use this horrible event as an opportunity for his church to be used to respond to the needs of many. Do you see that in this horrible situation? I mean, this is something you would not wish upon your worst enemy. I just want you to starve to death. Not even like prison. You don't even get to go to you don't even get to go to Soledad and get bread and water and have to share a nasty toilet with two other big name named, named Bubba and Pedro, and you got to share each other's underwear. You know that when you go to prison, you don't get to wear your own underwear. You know that, right? And if I don't got to go there, but you know if people's hygiene ain't right, that means you're sharing that hygiene. And I mean, I'm just real super OCD. Lord willing, you're never gonna see me in prison. I'm not doing that. You know. I got an issue with roaches and I will, I'll cock every single thing in that cell because I don't want nothing crawling in there. But I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. You don't want that. You don't want that in your life. It's not a good look. But the application, every hardship in our lives that God allows is an opportunity for his people not only to draw closer to him, but an opportunity for us to be used to help others in need. And this is the beautiful thing, again, to be the Lord's hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, to be, to be the Jesus Christ that people actually see in this life in real time. You know, maybe some people are just not there where they're, they have the heart to to want to open up the Bible and look and search for themselves who Jesus Christ is. But through your obedience, your submission, your willingness to be used to glorify God, others can see Jesus Christ in real time through your life and through your actions and through how you conduct yourself and how you display the love of Jesus. Amen. Example. Did you know that you could prosper in the midst of the worst time ever in your life? Mm -hmm. You could prosper. <laughs> you could prosper. True 
biblical prosperity is having the peace of God despite your circumstances. Now hear me. Prosperity can manifest itself financially or in material resources, but this is not the fundamental primary way God's children prosper. You see, because there's many people out there that preach and teach, if you give your seed, you give your financial offering, you're going to prosper and you're going to have this and that and this and that, you know, do you understand? Do I understand it? Even it even I liken it to the fact of and, and it's not something to joke about, but it's real because within the church, this happens a lot. Many people and rightfully so ask for physical healing. Now, you can be healed physically, but if your heart is not healed, it does not matter. You can be healed of cancer, but if your heart is still wretched and if you are still in a place of willful disobedience and you will not submit yourself under the mighty hand of Jesus Christ, you're not even healed. <laughs> you're not even healed. But there's many people that, that they were looking for all this exterior stuff. Why is it that people are on their deathbed? And they have the greatest peace that they've ever experienced in their life. It's because of a willful, submissive heart. Why is it that people are going through the worst times and people look at it and they're like, how could you be like that? How can you have such a joy in your heart? How can you have such a smile on your face despite your circumstances? And it's because of a humble submission and an understanding that this is something that the Lord is using that is going to not only strengthen me, but is going to be a testament and a testimony to all those around me. That's a big difference. And that, that's the difference between someone who's maturing spiritually in Christ and someone who's just stuck on, what are you going to do for me, Lord? You see, we have it so twisted. And I'm learning this every day. We want to believe that God exists for us because we always come to him. And I will I'll just put it like that. Lord, these are my needs. I need this. I need this. I need that. I want this. I want this. I want that. But it's like, do we come to the Lord and say, not you, not my will, but your will be done? What is it that you want? Lord, what is it that you want from my life? You know, I wake up in the mornings and, and there's many times where I have an agenda and I have a plan and I have this whole idea of what I'm going to do and how we're going to do it, Lord, and how it's going to go. And the Lord's like, dude, you fool. Or, you know, not a fool, but man, you, you know, my you stubborn child of mine. How, you, you don't understand that that's not the way we're doing it. You're not running the show. You don't determine how this goes and how that goes. You don't determine that this is the plan or that's the plan. I'll speak to your heart. I'll show you. I'll reveal your, myself to you through scripture. You'll understand. And you'll, you'll see that it's not about you. And it's like, wow, Lord. I mean, that takes some getting used to, you know, being married with two kids and understanding, dude, it's not about me. <laughs> what? You know, I'm like, I'm so tired now. Like, dude, free time? What? <laughs> I told my wife last night, oh, yeah, it's like 10 o'clock. I'm like, man, I think I'm going to go in the room. I'm going to play a little video game. I'm going to crash out. <laughs> yeah, right. She's like, I thought you were going to play a game. <laughs> I'm like, I thought I was too until I looked at that screen and my eyes were burning. I'm like, this is not wise. It's not going to work out. I really not should not stay up for another half hour trying to do this. It's like just not cool, you know. But it's like in my heart, I really wanted to. I did. You know, I had the desire and, and it, you know, it was OK. It wasn't like Lord was like, don't play a video game. But it was like, no, dude, because I had spent I had exasperated all my energy, which is what I'm supposed to do for my wife and my kids that, you know, I just didn't really I couldn't do what I thought I wanted to do. But that was his plan. And that's OK. And we have to be OK with that. Don't choke. Don't choke, little one. Yeah, I love that, though. The fact that you can prosper in the midst of just hard times. Amen. All right. Last two verses. Acts 11, 29 through 30. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of by the hand, excuse me, of Barnabas and Saul. Here is where we see the heart of this message this morning. 
The text says they determined, they were determined. What this means is that they prayed about the situation. They they wrestled with what was going on. There was a worldwide famine in their midst. And after they considered all the options, they determined in their own hearts, according to their abilities, to send relief to this church in Judea. What a beautiful depiction of Jesus's love for us. The example is Christ. The example is Jesus Christ. Christ was confronted with a dilemma. Humanity has sinned and fallen from grace. Do you need to obey God? I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. Somebody said yes. Hope it was my son. Yes. But Christ was confronted with a dilemma. Mankind had fallen from grace and sinned. But we see that the Lord was determined in his heart, according to his ability, to send relief to the people of this world. The application is this. We, like these early Christians, must determine in our minds and our hearts that we are going to be a blessing to others in need. We have to determine. We can't. We can't have a way of escape and be like, well, you know, I mean, I'm going I'm to I'm do it a little bit. But, you know, I mean, man, pocket's kind of tight this month. My time's kind of short right now because I got I got to I, I got to go to the store. I got to go do this other thing. I don't really got time for you, bro. I, ain't got, I don't got no money for you, man. I can't, you know, I, I can't pray for you because I, I got to pray for my own family. <laughs> you know, we, we do. We come up with the corniest excuses because we don't want to engage. You know, but it's like we have to determine in our minds, and our hearts that we're going to be used as a vessel to be a blessing to others. Amen. Specifically, the church. I should say first and foremost, the church, God's church. This event is significant because there was a full participation in this offering. Again, everyone, according to their own abilities, gave. Whatever that was, according to their own abilities, right? It's not this whole thing of, oh yeah, give. If you don't, if you don't mortgage off your house, you're not, you're not serving the Lord. It's, it's, it's giving as the Lord leads you in your own abilities to give. This is important because the church can do a lot when we all do it together. Example, you may look at your contributions through your prayers or your financial support as unimportant. But did you ever consider the impact upon the church that you attend, which is Resilient Life, if you didn't pray for people here or for the leadership here, or if you didn't give of your time and resources, the loss would be significant. The loss would be great. And the reality is those who fail to participate lose out the most in the end. By not getting involved, we miss out on being a blessing for the Bible is true, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, that it is far better to give than to receive. In giving from a pure motive, hear me, church, in giving from a pure motive, you are freed from anything material controlling or dominating your life. That is, that is the liberation of, of, of the giving of a cheerful heart. Many times, when an individual refuses to give of their resources of, or of their time, it is because there is a stronghold there. There is a stronghold and a demonic energy there that is blocking this individual's ability to let go of something material or of themselves or of their time. Whether people want to believe it or not, that is the true kicker behind why those that don't give, don't give. 
It's because there's a stronghold. You see, the church in Antioch loved God and people, not stuff. They didn't love the stuff. You see, it's okay to, and it's a trip because I've been teaching this to Kalos for a long time now. Because I heard him one time and he's like, oh, I love Paw Patrol. Or I love Mickey Mouse. Or I love this and that. It's like, son, you should like Mickey Mouse. You should like Paw Patrol. Don't love those things. Love is reserved for God and for people, not stuff. The Bible is clear. If you and I love the things of this world, remember the things of this world, the love of the Father is not in us because we're in love with all this stuff. (laughs) We're in love with all this stuff we can amass and consume and collect and say, this is mine, I have it. Man, it's, it's, it's a shame when you see somebody that has so much material things, but they are so miserable. You think, and you know, I mean, who wouldn't mind driving a Ferrari? But do you think that Ferrari is going to make you complete and make you whole? Do you think that gigantic diamond, and you know, it's okay. I mean, I'm a man and I like shiny things. <laughs> But it's like, do you think that all those diamonds are going to complete you and make you give you that inner sense and that inner purpose that you're longing for that we don't even realize that we're longing for? Right. The deepest desire of our heart is to be unified with God. The biggest diamond in the world. ain't gonna. I mean, if it didn't do it for Lucifer, it's not going to do it for us. He had everything. He had all these shiny rubies and stones. And I mean, he was the most majestic, beautiful angel ever created. Just be content. He could not find it within himself to be content. He just wanted a little bit more. Let me just, I I just want to, I want to be above you, God, instead of, let me just be your humble spit shoe shiner and be content. You're going to take care of me. You know, let me be the court jester in the king's palace. You're going to eat good. I may look goofy, but I'm eating good. I'm eating better than the dog is. And I got a roof over my head and, you know, you're good to go. He just could not be content. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This great act of giving is part of glorifying God. Also, we need to remember that this was a Gentile church giving in what was most likely a majority of Jewish Christian Jewish Christians in Judea. The the church in Antioch was a Gentile church and they were moved by the Holy Spirit to give of their time and their resources and their funds to help, to be used, to be a blessing. This is very important to point out because it again breaks down the barrier of color and of race. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, the world will know us by our love for one another, the church. The world will know us by how we love one another. And how, how, how greater of a love is that than of the sacrificing of oneself and what one has for the betterment of someone else and how you and I give of our time and our resources. Lastly, we see that the church gave the resources to the church leadership in faith that they would distribute things in a godly honor, in a God honoring way. As the worship team comes up, I'll bring up this last point. The application is trust is essential for this kind of a great work to occur. Trust is essential. The example, I I, I see the ministry of Samaritan's purse the leadership in that ministry needs to sense the Lord moving in a certain direction and they obey. They submit and they obey. They in turn, excuse me, then in turn, the rest of those that are involved in that same ministry will follow suit as they need to, believing, trusting that 
the leadership is hearing from the Lord and not blindly, but also in prayer and in one accord, things will be confirmed. And we see the great works that this ministry is doing uh, across the world and how they've been sustained for many years to do God's work. Even in this church, I see what happens when the leadership is seeking the Lord, humbly submitting, and as people begin to follow suit and continue to do the same thing, you see the great work of the Lord. You see the hand, the hand of the Lord upon the things that are going on within the church. By all of us humbly submitting ourselves to the authority and rule of Jesus Christ, this is the true and only way we will all move in one accord. And that's the, that's the key. Again, that's the kicker. It's all about Christ. It's not about man. It's not about woman. It's not about an idea. It's not about a method. It's not about a methodology. It's not about a formula. It's about the person of Jesus Christ and every individual determining in their heart to humbly submit and obey whatever it is the Lord is showing you and to simply just do it. Amen. I'll end with this verse. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks and 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 that that is the reality are we allowing the lord to create in us a clean heart to renew in us a right spirit so that we're able out of the abundance of the good treasure within our hearts produce good things or are we not allowing the lord to break us and a breaking is a constant breaking it's not a one-time thing <laughs> you know I, I love what va used to say va would say we, we 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 tend to be offerings that want to crawl off of uh you know off of the table we come to the off of the altar excuse me offerings that want to crawl off the altar. It's not a one-time thing. This is a lifestyle, folks. It's a lifestyle of continual breaking, continual allowing the Lord to break us, reshape us, mold us into the vessel he wants to use us for. Maybe it's for a week, then he'll break us again and build us back up and make us into something else, right? Get used to the breaking process. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing because you know you're going to be recreated and built up to be a glorious creation that the Lord is using for his glory. And you get to humbly partake in that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly father, 